You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Good evening, gentlemen. Marty, we got you back, so it's round two. Very unusual we get you two days in a row. So let's start with you. How are you this evening? Um, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm still buzzing from, from room 101. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good, ready to um, engage the enemy in all aspects. Yeah, I have to admit, I was... Uh I was buzzing last night myself and, and today as well when I was uh, going through putting the final touches on that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, and, you know, I, I I keep thinking, like, I'm sending it out to everybody. I'm like, you got to listen to this. It's hilarious. I mean, I was listening to it laughing again this morning, especially about the man bun. <laughs> I can't get over that. The man bun. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive. Thank you. Fantastic. All right. Today, uh, we're going to catch up on some stuff that's going on on the EU side of things and the UK side of things, because you haven't been around for a serious podcast for a couple of, uh, it's been almost a couple of weeks now. I don't think the, I don't yeah. think we had you on last week. You were busy. But I have to try and be serious tonight after we came out of this, uh, this comedic aspect last night. It's hard to do that. But uh, I know you've got engagements, so we'll get on the, we'll get on the move here. Let's start yeah. with Prime Minister Boris Johnson's new three-step uh, procedures or, or whatever it is he's doing. What, what in the world has he done now? What, what is this? No. First, it was a pub closure. Boris Johnson has said he's unveiled a new um, local COVID alert level is what it's called. And it divides the United Kingdom into areas with one of three three threat categories, medium, high and very high. Notice there's no low or non-existent here. So there's always a constant threat. You see how they've done this? Depending on the rates of coronavirus infections and hospitalizations, which He's now coming out and saying that uh, you guys are being told the NHS is going to collapse if you don't do what you're told, uh, I think is part of it. Uh, His actual quote here is, uh, we want to create the maximum possible local consensus behind this more severe local action. So in each area, we will work with local government leaders on the additional measures which should be taken. This could lead to further restrictions on the hospitality, leisure, entertainment, and personal care sectors. Now, he says that I know how difficult this is. That's usually how it goes when you get bad news from, say, like a, you know, a relative that you've got or, or a doctor, for example, if you've got like a terminal illness or something. Now, I know how difficult this is going to be, but um, we're, we're going to have to uh, destroy your life. Uh, and, and we're not quite sure how to break this to you. That's what it sounds like to me. He says, like everyone in a household, we're grappling with very real dilemmas. I love how they make this personal. Yeah, they're making this personal as in, well, if you don't do what we tell you to do, it's your fault. As in, you're you're actually implying that you're giving people some kind of a choice. People are just being told they have to do this. They're, they're not being consulted. They're not being asked. They're not being given suggestions on the matter. It's just, this is what you need to do. Um, and if you don't do this, then this is what we're going to uh, have to resort to. Uh, he says, but we cannot let the National Health Service fall over when the lives are at stake. So again, it's to me, I take this as a threat of almost death, right? 
As in, if you don't do what we need you to do, then people are going to die. That, that to me, is, is what it sounds like. That's the underlying message that I'm grabbing from that. He says that most, or excuse me, they're saying that most of the UK will fall under the medium alert level, which, of course, there's nothing lower than that. So the whole country's in crisis, right? So you keep everybody, you, you put everybody in a state of crisis or emergency, and then you hold it there. You take it to a certain point. You don't go over because you don't want to lose total control, but you take society to a certain point, you grab power and you hang on to it and you keep it in a permanent state of uh, crisis. That way you can manage that crisis. And that's what they're doing. Uh, it says coronavirus restrictions such as maximum capacity gatherings at six people and mandatory hospitality closures at 10 p.m. That would be all pubs, entertainment, you know, aspects and everything. Uh, the high and very high levels will apply to specific areas of the country experiencing higher levels of infection. The goal of limiting household mixing, closing pubs, and keeping gatherings both indoors and outdoors small is to keep the country's hospital system from becoming overburdened. Okay, so after all of that, that's basically the three-tiered system in a nutshell. Uh, I wanted to kind of summarize it. Uh, what What are your thoughts on uh, on all of this that uh, has now been laid out? Because first we were talking about the five-step, I think it was, or this, the rules of six, I think is what it was. That was the last yeah. thing. And there, you notice that never ended. You've just transitioned into something else. So it, it's a form of successive approximation, meaning this is how tyrants take over. This is what they do. They grab a hold of something and they say, okay, this is what you need to do in order for us to get past this, and then we'll release it. But they never do. They always move on to something else. And then they squeeze down tighter and tighter and tighter. That's what successive approximation is. Or a more commonly used term in this case would be siege. Yes, exactly that. We're being made to feel as though we're under siege. I struggle with this because um, the NHS didn't get put under too much pressure. The Nightingale hospitals were built. They 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 uh, they treated a sum total of four people, but it had a four thousand bed capacity, and I believe there were two of those two of those hospitals set up. Um, you'd think that actually, with all the people not using the NHS for its normal uh, everyday purposes, that they would have saved a truckload of money, and you know the NHS would be in a good place. But it's. It's just exactly as it was before COVID, uh, only now I think it's I, – I hope I'm wrong, but I think this is just a preamble to the government saying that, you know, the over, the NHS has been overwhelmed. We can no longer afford to, to run the NHS as it is, and it, it gives – the something I've talked about in the past, it gives the private private healthcare insurance business a chance to get a big chunk of the. I can't remember how much it was, but it it, it was close to four hundred billion. Um, so you're saying industry. this is following along the guidelines of the calls to privatize the NHS? Yeah, yeah. This this, this that's what it feels like. Obviously. Boris Johnson and his advisors uh, in their briefings to the public um, are 100% singing the song about protecting the NHS. But as you said earlier on, they are making it personal. They're saying if there's another spike, if the NHS gets overwhelmed, it will be because you, the general public, haven't followed these guidelines. And the guidelines make no sense they make absolutely no sense. Why can I go to a pub, even if it's only till 10 o'clock, and mingle with however many people are in that pub, but I'm only allowed to have 
six people at my house and they have to be family members within my bubble. So, you know, that, that makes no sense. We know that the wearing of masks doesn't really stop you getting the virus because they're just not fine enough. The, the filters on the masks are not fine enough to, um, to filter out a, you know, a, a virus, um, the cells. So the mask wearing doesn't really make sense. Washing your hands, staying uh, a distance from people, yeah, of course, that's going to reduce any kind of infection, social distancing. Uh, but none of it really makes sense. All of it just sounds like propaganda an excuse and a means to an end. And I really do hope I'm wrong, but I think, you know, you're spot on. It's just a power grab. And um, they're keeping up the intensity of Project Fear. Project Fear used to be all about Brexit, about, I, oh, how a, terrible thing, things that, were going to go on. That's an interesting question. That's an inter- uh, that, well, it's not a question. That, that's an interesting statement you actually just made there. Project Fear. They were, th- as you said, they were the the main um, opposition and, and you know, promoting the campaigns of, of anti-Brexit and all that stuff, and, and you want to stay in the EU and everything. So what have they done now? They didn't go away. So you're saying they're back with an agenda that deals with COVID? No, I would say that this is a new project fear that um, is keeping everybody's stress levels high um, and, and making people more compliant because they are scared to go out and do things. But with these recent three-tiered uh, restrictions, uh, the northern city mayors are starting to to you know to stand their ground and 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 say not defiance as such, but that they are voicing their dislike and distaste and distrust of the measures that are being put into place for the north of England. The north of England is uh, always struggled compared to uh, the South in terms of business and opportunity. And and now with all the things that are, you know, going on, they're suffering even more because they're getting shut down. Small businesses are starting and have started and are now failing. Um, hospitality, uh, you know, venues, those kinds of facilities are suffering the most from these restrictions. And that they've had enough. They 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 really have had enough. There are common sense things that we could all do to protect the vulnerable. You know, if, if people have got pre-existing conditions that would make a respiratory illness nearly fatal or fatal, you just look after them. We've said it before, you don't quarantine healthy people, you look after the vulnerable and, and people who've got the disease or condition. So, yeah. Oh, this is a downer after after room you know, 101. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But but it's honestly though, I mean it, it is it is a bit of a downer, yeah, but you're you're right though about these uh about these these rules and and whatever. A lot of these things they just don't make any sense. Like I'm sitting here looking on on my other screen here. I've got I got some of these rules pulled up. For example, this is a uh, this is a pub in London who put this out. Someone snapped a, a photo of this and put it out. Uh face coverings must be worn when entering or exiting the establishment, but you don't need them at the table. Because for whatever reason, the virus knows that when you're sitting, it goes above your head, I think. Use alcohol hand gel before entering the establishment. So at the door, I'm assuming here. Six people maximum to a table. Okay. All right. Now, this one right here is interesting. No handshaking. Okay, fine. Right? Because, you you know, you keep saying, okay, fine. No high-fiving or extended eye contact with anyone not at your table. <laughs> 
extended uh, eye contact. What? So the virus now travels through looking at someone uh, and, and it gets even worse. There's a there's a northern town. You, you talk there about a um, about a northern uh, a nor- some northern towns uh, is there's a place up there. I believe here it says it's called Stockton on Tees. Does, does that sound right? Yes. Stockton okay. on Tees. Yeah. Stockton in, on Tees. In okay. Yeah. There's a sign here. I'm looking at another uh, another sign here that someone snapped a picture of. And this is at a bus stop. OK. There's a sign up there that's put up by the local council and it says coronavirus be alert right and it says narrow walkway ahead as i i I feel like you're at safety town and you're you're a a preschool age right i mean that's that's what i feel like please ensure you keep your distance pass others quickly and look away when passing other people thank you for keeping your distance i i look at these i look at these measures and this is exactly what it is that we've been talking about they have to keep people divided from ourselves that's what it has to be going forward. The point of COVID is, is that everybody can catch it. That way, everyone becomes a suspect to it. And then when everyone becomes a suspect to it, then you can have rules like this, absurd rules like this. That way, people don't unify. They don't come together. And if you're not unified, if you can't come together, forget households as a society or a community in general, then you're not going to be able to mount any kind of a resistance against whatever they tell you. Yeah. And I said exactly that a few podcasts ago. How do you organize? How can you organize these days? How can you get people to to show uh, their displeasure by peaceful protest when you cannot congregate, you cannot get together? So it's like, you know, when, um, you know, when your parents used to pretend that you were hitting yourself by grabbing your wrists and slapping your face, this is what's happening. They're taking away your ability to fight back because they've got hold of your ability to fight back and they're slapping you with it, uh, your own hands. So they, they are, uh, and by they, just to establish who we think yep. we are talking about we're talking about this whole new world order that are bringing about societal change hang on a minute but, a, did you say there's a new world order did, did you say that there's a did you actually say that did you say those words specifically yes i did you you did because th- there was a th- just since you brought that up there was a um there was a news conference yesterday in Australia, and I just want to play this short clip here. There was a news conference yesterday in Australia. The gentleman's name was uh, Daniel Andrews, okay? And he was giving a press conference. This was on their national TV down there. This is Sky News Sydney uh, where he's giving this. And I want you to hear what he has to say. Now, they've told all the Aussies to go home and everything's locked down down there. We're really not hearing too much out of what's going on in, in Australia, and it's really sad. But uh, I, I just want to, I want you to hear what this individual, this government official here had to say when they're talking about issuing new lockdowns and new rules and new regulations because of COVID. Now, listen very carefully to what he's about to say. But I'm not happy about it. I'd also say this, the other area of uh, danger uh, is the place that we would normally consider to be the safest place on earth, our homes. Uh, You've already heard today that uh, one of, uh, or a number of the people who've actually uh, uh, now got the virus, got it in a home situation. And we'll hear more detail about that in due course. But it is uh, both a safe place and a dangerous place. We must treat this uh, new world order, this new world of COVID, we must treat this new world of COVID, even in our own homes, with a high level of care and caution. Can I ask? All- well, Whoops. I'm no expert. I'm no expert, but I think that's what is commonly known as a Freudian slip. Even so, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, you know, I actually, I've got friends in Australia, and I'm going to reach out to them uh, and and find out. And what we have Australian. Take- 
Yeah, we have Australian listeners, too, as well. Uh, if you could, anyone that's listening to us down in Australia, if you would like to, and I, I mean this with all, with all sincerity, if you would like to, please reach out to us at tips.dynamicindependence.com, and uh, it, we can have you on as a guest. We will work out a way, uh, and we can get you on if you would like to uh, to voice your uh, your concerns and your opinions of what's happening down there. We can set that up. So just, yeah. just throwing that out there. Go ahead. I was just going to say that Australia is a very big country with quite a small population. I think the population is around 7 million. And although a city is a city the world over and, and, and applying restrictions within a city is, of course, you know, the same here, the same in, in the US, the same in Germany and the same in Australia in the large cities. But the vast majority of people live in in more rural, you know, uh, surroundings, uh, very small towns. And um, I'm just wondering how these restrictions are being policed. Have they really ramped up Project Fear Australia, the Antipodean version of Project Fear, so that even people in small farming communities who might not see um, a stranger from one month to the next how they're having to behave because, you know, hopefully that virus isn't getting to them. Um, hopefully there aren't the people spreading the virus around their small town. So, yeah, we, we need to find out from from real Aussies who are experiencing what's happening there, exactly what's going on. Because it's only by these comparisons between what's happening here, what's happening there, what's happening in the US, will we be actually able to see the, the truth of the whole picture. And once we've got that truth, what do we do with it? Where do we take it next? How do we organise? How do we get people to um, get together and march on it? Because that's what we need. Otherwise, we are going to lose this battle. You know, I, I think it's going to be, and I agree with you, I, I think it's going to be a uh, a long this this is going to be a long fight. This is going to be a ten year fight. Honestly, I, I really I really genuinely believe that this is going to take time. Uh, this is not going to be the days of old, like World War II, where you had uh, you know in and out three four years somewhere along in there, and then it was over. It, it's not going to be like that. This is a different form of warfare that we're fighting here. This is a spiritual battle. This is not a physical one, though they would like to take it to a physical one. But this is a different kind of evil that we're fighting. When I say evil, I mean that. I, I don't mean that in uh, in, a, in, a, in a light term when it comes to this. What's happening with all of this other stuff that's, that's mixed into this, this cancel culture, this, uh, this idea that we're destroying our history, this public health stuff that's all tied into this, this is evil. This is not, yeah. uh, this is not something that is something that you can reason with. Yeah, this is not like dealing with, say, you know, a military might have like, say, uh, a Third Reich or something like that, or dealing with, say, like a Soviet uh, style threat. That's not what this is. This is a movement that at the very core of it, because information travels the way that it does now, has made the world a very smaller place. And so, yeah. I mean, look at what we do here. Because the way this works and the way that these people have their reach now and the way that travel is, you can be anywhere in the globe in 24 hours. You know, and that's that's traveling just conventional means. This is an evil group of individuals at the top. And they're having all of these people down under them carry out this agenda. I mean, what, what was it that we read about the COVID reset and recovery, the great reset that's being put forth by the World Economic Forum? Governments will be tasked with carrying out these agendas. They'll be tasked. They're little more than just gophers. That's all they are. That's all they're meant to be at this this juncture going forward. Yeah. There's a, a Latin phrase, which is something like pecunious 
Sinus Belli. I wish I had my mobile phone with me so I could look it up, but um, it's, it's in the other room on charge. But what it basically means is that money is the sinew of war. You can't wage war without wealth. And the trouble is the people we're fighting, which may only be 1% of the 10% of the world's richest people, they already have 90% of the, the planet's wealth. So how are we going to fight against that kind of uh, of power? There is no way to fight against someone who is or something that is that wealthy because they can just buy as much support and as many allies as they need because fundamental human nature is greedy and people are easily bought. And you see it all the time. Even these politicians... Um, in the UK, I think that the NWO has fully infiltrated parties, um, and it doesn't matter what party gets into power, the people who've, who've been bought will be put into the leadership positions. So, uh, you know, the, the policies of those parties will be the policies of the, the Rockefeller, the Rothschilds, the Soros's, the Gates. It will be them who are actually calling the shots. And I think they already are in Europe. Um, maybe not so much in, in, the, in, in America, because I think um, Donald Trump, as we've said before, was an absolute surprise. No one expected him to be elected. Um, nobody expected the UK to vote for Brexit. Uh, that's why Project Fear was allowed to do what it what it wanted to do, which was undermine our negotiating standpoint, so that even now we still don't have a deal. So it reminds me of uh, the uh, the mealy mouth cap in hand that you said on James O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to my mind, and this is just my opinion and the opinion of no one else on uh, you know in, involved in this broadcast, James O'Brien is a bought and paid for propagandist. His virtue signaling um, appeals to everyone who's got that guilt, who, who were feeling white privilege even before white privilege became a term. And, and that's what he does. And, and that's, that's how he's shaping people's opinion. Admittedly, he, he works for one radio station for, for London Broadcasting Company, LBC. And supposedly on that show, uh, on that station there's a balanced outlook from left right and center however um there was until they fired there nigel. Was until they fired nigel farage and you know my opinion of him i i like a lot of what he stands for but i don't entirely trust the guy either i think you know it's um any i've said this before and i'm sorry to sound like a stuck record anyone who stands for office or, or decides that that's what they want to do should be immediately disqualified from doing so because there's an ego there that's driving an agenda. And, um, you know, I, I used to think that all politicians went into politics uh, with their eyes wide open and the best of intentions. Well, we know that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, and what very rapidly happens is that that politician gets told, if you don't vote the way the party wants you to vote, um, you'll be deselected and you won't be a member of parliament for very long. So I currently think the party politics system is is their biggest weapon, is, is the, the New World Order's biggest weapon because people can 
by one or two people and you wind up buying a whole party, a whole movement. This is why I said that they're scared, you know, and this is uh, like the politicians, they're, they're, they're running scared. They have no backbone. They will not stand up to this. It's going to have to be we the people that stand up to this. And you, you asked an interesting question there. You said, how do we how do we fight back against someone that has all of that money and that influence? Hence why I said when you look at it in those terms, I agree with you. You're right. But when you look at it in the other form that I that I laid out in the initial stages, this is a spiritual battle, spiritual in this sense with these individuals and these organizations. Money doesn't matter. It's a matter of you're either for the righteous and the good or you're with pure evil. And that's what these people are. It's going to take a new generation of people in order to make the right decision. It's it's the divide between the dark age that they're trying to bring in, which we discussed on the uh, uh, the agenda of societal change with the Great Reset, with them vertically integrating the economy or in their terms, they said making it horizontal which that's not what it is at all. Horizontal would mean that you're actually innovating and progressing, but they're the ones in that situation that are predicting, or excuse me, that are picking the winners and losers when they're losers themselves. Why would we want them to pick winners and losers? I want the free market. I want the true innovation. I want a new renaissance to pick winners and losers. I want people to be able to decide that. They're trying to work us out of that equation. Hence, essential, non-essential. They're already getting us used to those terms. So by their standards, we're deemed non-essential going forward. But uh, I think Bruce wanted to chime in there. And I saw him uh, start to say something. And you know how you know how it is when you and I get on these things, Marty. We start getting on these long rants and everything. We never give the poor guy a chance to talk. So go ahead, Bruce. So while you guys were talking, I was looking over the some of the data numbers from the UK and looking at... Um, you know, COVID infection rates and so on and so forth and comparing it to previous years. And more or less, it looks like a typical flu year. As far as the ups and downs, it's it's happening in the same time periods, uh, typical flu season, so on and so forth. So in the process of looking for past numbers and data and stuff, I was seeing articles from last year uh, talking about um, there were NHS staff that were not getting stabs or, or excuse me, jabs. Um, referring to flu shots and whatnot for those of us that don't call shots jabs. There were there were a lot of the staff that weren't getting those. And uh, somewhere in the vicinity of like 40% of the health workers at the time uh, weren't, weren't vaccinated towards just the flu. Now, I personally believe that's going to be your next step. At least that's the next in the UK, at least. I know they're they're talking about this here in the US as well. Mandated vaccinations for COVID-19. Once the vaccine comes out, that's the next step. I think I think they're that's the whole reason they're pushing for another lockdown and saying, you know, keeping things you're starting at a medium when, when you're talking about the the uh, lockdowns and the the um, danger rating or whatever of COVID. Every location is starting at medium right off the bat. And that, that's kind of your baseline. So it, it's creating this narrative that you should be terrified of this. This is not going away, so on and so forth. It feels like, um, obviously, I don't have data supporting it because this would be their government, you know, stuff that's happening behind the closed doors. And so I don't I obviously don't have access to that. But I, I think that's the next that's that's their next play is they want to gen this up because flu season is hitting. Um, you're going to see an uptick anyway because flu season. And then they're going to say uh, once the vaccine comes out, which they're speculating a, a functioning one will be out before the American elections uh, or at least by the end of the year. And that fits with the flu season. Flu season doesn't end until um, about April, May of next year, uh, or that's when it starts down ticking. So 
if there's a functioning vaccine that's being mass produced at that point, expect it to be mandatory. Yeah, uh, we've we've kind of known this um, for a while, but one of the one of the reasons that we were mistrusting the vaccine is because of Bill Gates' involvement and Bill Gates' advocacy for pretty much eugenic ideals uh, and ideas. And he's just put in, just on a side note, he has just put in an additional $280 million into positive PR campaigns for himself across mainstream media networks. And and this goes back to um, the, the podcast we had when Ned was on last. We were all concerned about Okay, Gates had said stuff about genetically modifying humans, living humans, via a vaccine, um, taking away some of the genes or making those genes dormant that he thinks are are not right for human beings. Um, one of those being uh, the, the 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 gene that controls your aggression levels, which also controls the the level of testosterone output. I don't think we're there yet with that, but. The, the research that Ned did um, where he's looking at these uh, double whammies of, of vaccines that actually you have the vaccine and then it makes you even more vulnerable uh, and have a greater autoimmune response to the virus when you actually encounter it. Uh, and, there, and there were several um, examples that he quoted where that had happened. Obviously, GP's got his outlook as well. And, and none of us believe that um, people who go into medicine to, to create vaccines, to create medicines, to help people are doing it for any wrong, evil reasons. Well, this However, is why they're using it. This is why they're using yeah. it, because they know we inherently trust the the medical community, you know, in the scientific community. They know we inherently trust them. Yes, yes, we do. Um, However, again, it it, it was part of the discussion between GP and Ned. It's always about the next research grant. Where's that coming from? There's always someone looking for the next research grant. And just like politicians are looking to survive the next election and making sure they continue to be selected by their party as, you know, as an MP, it's the same inside the medical world. We want you to add this particular thing into the into the mix of the vaccine. Well, why? We don't think that'll do it. Just do it. Otherwise, I'm not signing the check, basically. And and this is uh, this is what's what I think is happening. It, it is money, but two hundred million to to Gates. How many worldwide users of Windows are there? And everyone who's bought an operating system or bought office or whatever has paid handsomely. And now it's not even just a one-off payment. You have to pay every year for it. And there are millions upon millions of people all over the world using Microsoft products. We're using them right now and uh, we've paid for it. That money to him is is a, a drop in the ocean. It means absolutely nothing. I've said this before, when you've got fabulous wealth, all that's left to stroke your ego with, if that's what you so desire, is power and influence. And and that's, I think that's his motivation. Nothing to do with philanthropic, you know, wanting to save the world. It's got much more to do with, look how influential I am. Look how much power and control I have. All I'd need is a couple of million and you wouldn't see me for dust. I would retire yeah, to that happy be, place and, and be, do those things that I love doing. 
I'd be doing GP's plan. I would be on a beach fishing with a podcast microphone. That's all I need. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've got many more hobbies than that, but um, those, <laughs> two, those two things it, sound great. Is it something about World of Warships? Is it? Does it involve that? Uh, well, the, there would be online gaming, but of course that means I'm, I'm using a computer, which means I'm using Microsoft products. So maybe I'd just go back to basics. You know, I, I grew up without computer games, without a mobile phone. Oh, come on. You um, didn't have a, you didn't have a Commodore? I had a no, Commodore. You didn't have no, a Commodore. Oh, that was my first. That was my first PC, man. Not until I was a, a fully fledged adult, um, and and um, no, as a kid, right the way up. Oh no, Atari. You would have had an Atari, right? No, no, I didn't. No, no I didn't. No. Well, did you not have no, Ataris in the UK? Yes, of course we did. We're, we're we're not. We haven't just crawled out from under some rock, you know. Okay, well I wasn't um, sure. I mean, <laughs> I see Bruce laughing. It's great. No, where, where was I going with this? The fact is that if I got rich enough so that I didn't have to work, I would stop working. But these people, they're sick. He's the one with the defective genes. He's the one with this drive that allows him to achieve what he's achieved. That is seriously overachieving. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he's right up there, self-actualization. He's gone beyond. He's added another little pointy bit on top of the pyramid. And, you know, I think that's the defective gene uh, because once you're rich enough, just retire, butt out, leave everybody else alone, get on, enjoy the things you enjoy doing and stop screwing with the world, please, Mr. Gates. Here, here, sir. Here, here. Hey, all right. Let's uh, let's switch up here a little bit. Let's get off of the uh, you know that kind of stuff. I mean, we can still kind of keep with it. I, I want to talk about your supermarkets. When was the last time you were at a Tesco or a Morrison's? Oh, Tesco's or a Morrison's probably a couple of months ago because a couple of months I, ago. Yeah, I use different supermarkets at the moment simply because gotcha. they're they're clo- they're closer and um, it, they're all within reach, but. The one I use is closer. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, the reason I, I, I wanted to talk about that is because um, this is something out of the Business Insider. UK supermarkets, Tesco's, which for those that are not aware, Tesco's is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you could almost make a comparison to like, a, say, like a Walmart or something. Same thing with Asda. You can make a comparison to like Walmart. It's one of those places where you go and you can get everything you need. Tesco's and Morrison's are rationing toilet paper and hand sanitizer as fears of panic buying are returning. One worker said their store is worse than a bad Christmas. The chain, the British supermarket chains, uh, Morrison's and Tesco's, reintroduced product limits of three per person on staple goods such as lifelong food and hygiene products. Shoppers appear to have been stocking up amid fears of a second lockdown after Boris Johnson announced uh, stricter restrictions on uh, on Tuesday with the um, uh, the three tier thing. Uh, spokesman for Morrison's told Business Insider they said our stock levels of these products are good, but we want to ensure that they are available for everyone. One more. Morrison's worker said the store was worse than a bad Christmas. Are, are you seeing uh, shortages or, or limitations when you go to the shop? That, that's kind of what I was, I was. I wanted to see where because you go to the actual right. shops. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I don't want this. What I'm about to say to turn out to be a hate crime. But where I live, the uh, the ethnic diversity isn't huge. OK, now I've lived in the Middle East and I've seen Arabic shoppers when they're shopping for Eid and Ramadan. And they buy in huge bulk. So where you've got cities like Bradford, uh, Leeds, you know, the, these large cities up north and London, where you've got a, a high ethnic population, they have those bulk buying habits. It is just part of the way they shop. And so I've not seen 
anything in the shops that I've been to in the last two to three weeks where it would signify that bulk buying was taking place. But I have absolutely no doubt that it is taking place right the way across the country. And it's like chicken and egg. If someone sees someone bundling a load of toilet rolls into a trolley, they're going to go and do the same. And it, and it compounds it. And I do believe it's, uh, again, I'm not saying as a, as a criticism, it's merely an observation. Culturally, the, the Muslim communities do bulk buy, particularly around Eid and uh, the beginning of Ramadan, because they have these big iftars uh, at dusk. So these big meals and the whole family round and all the rest of it. So they have to bulk buy. And which makes perfect sense. Which it, makes sense. Of course, of course it does. Uh, like I say, it's not a criticism. It's merely an observation that bulk buying isn't really a British cultural thing, um, as in white English cultural thing, but it is, you know, a BAME cultural thing. Well, and, they're limiting... Um, they're, they're limiting certain things. Uh, for example, uh, Tesco's they imposed uh, their own three item limits on Friday. Like, well, last Friday. They're talking about flour. As in, you can't buy any more than three of these. Flour, dried pasta, toilet rolls, baby wipes, antibacterial wipes. Morrison's also announced that they're going to be limiting certain products to three as well, including pasta, soup, hand wash, hand sanitizer, multiple packs of toilet paper and kitchen roll. Again, I mean, these are the same things that yeah. we saw in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. They're the things that you need for a siege. So we're back to the siege mentality. And they're saying uh, and a lot of this is is what you said. It's it's social media users that are hyping up this this thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's also, how the word's traveling. You're saying this this thing came out Friday, last Friday, just a few days ago yeah. from Tesco. I was in Asda, which actually belongs to Walmart, and there was absolutely no sign of any restriction last Friday. And last Saturday, and I'll be going again tomorrow um, to do the weekly shop. And I can bet you there will be no sign of any restrictions or limits on what you're buying. I think Tesco's and Morrison's might be just grabbing a bit of free advertising. It's just a way of, of getting their name out there by doing this. I don't doubt that there has been bulk buying, particularly in the larger cities, and I'm pretty sure I know who kicked the bulk buying off. But where I live uh, in the supermarket I use, it, I use, I'm not experiencing any restrictions like that. Okay. Let's jump over to Huawei. You know that uh, that company that you say that, that we should – you look confused. Huawei? You, you, know, you know the company uh, no, I'm we, talking about. We haven't, we haven't talked about Huawei for quite a while. So we haven't. What, what a, what, we have not. What are Huawei, what are Huawei up to? Well, uh, they got ousted as one of the contractors for the EU as a whole. So it's not just the UK that they got booted from with Boris's deal. And now, to be fair, I mean, that they, they got ousted because of this whole COVID thing. That whole Huawei deal fell through. So uh, same thing with this one. The uh, <laughs> They've been kicked out over here, too. Orange and Proximus have picked up Nokia to help build the 5G networks in Belgium. The Belgians said, we don't want it. We, we don't want it. They, we don't want anything to do with Huawei. We don't want anything to do with uh, with that Chinese company as it related to 5G. The Swiss have completely banned it. Completely. They don't want any of the any of that stuff at all. They're using the excuse that this is all U.S. pressure to or put it, the U.S. putting pressure on the EU to keep the Chinese out because of all this stuff with COVID. It's got I, very little to do with the EU and it's got more to do with NATO. The uh, EU, yes. The EU is, is, in my opinion, as bought and paid for as any other political organization. 
the commission is completely unelected. Who decides who they are? Who, who's putting those people forward? The world banks. That's who decides. Bankers, yep. Who? Yeah, the bankers decide who's going to be in the EU commission. So what you've got here is a bit of a conflict. And this might be not the EU's plan at all, but this could be the pressure applied by being part of NATO. So, you know, the Swiss, the tiny, tiny little country, very good at keeping secrets and other people's gold. Um, So no surprise that they don't want a a Chinese spy in every piece of um, digital hardware that they that they've got incorporated as their as their infrastructure, uh, and nor do NATO countries. All of the Scandinavian Scandinavian countries are NATO members. Norway, in particular, we exercise with the Norwegian armed forces all the time. Our Royal Marines, you know, are doing their Arctic training in Norway. Those countries, those those countries' militaries do not want Huawei as part of the infrastructure because we know they'll be building in backdoors all over the place. We also know that if we buy the stuff from America, the backdoors will be there, but we trust you guys a little bit more. So, um, well, we kind yeah, of it doesn't we, matter. We've kind of become reliant on each other when it comes to trade. I mean, when we make those deals, I mean, I mean, let's let's face it. You know, I, I said this the other day. We're both better countries because of it. We had a little mix up back in the late 1700s. You know, it was nothing really important, but we've become dear friends ever since, and we're both better countries because of it. Building off of each other. This is exactly why they've been trying to turn the U.S. against Russia. Now, I, I'm really no fan of Putin, but. If you had the United States and you had Russia and, and you had the UK mixed up in there as well, working good trade deals and we were friendly with each other, that would benefit all of us. Everybody wins in that. But obviously, you don't want to put yourself in a, in a potential security risk like you're talking about here with Huawei. I understand. But the CCP, which is, I mean, Huawei is a CCP company. Essentially, they're going to be building backdoors and into everything. And their agenda yeah, cool. is to undermine the West. And that's that's been the agenda with everything else we see so far. And if they could undermine NATO, which like they've already undermined the UN, like they've already undermined the World Health Organization, if they could undermine NATO and go after that that multinational military organization, then they will take that morsel as well. Yeah, I mean, I actually believe that the EU countries, the the majority of EU countries, have deliberately under-contributed to NATO in the last decade, maybe 15 years or so. And that's because the EU wants to stand up its own army. So they don't want to spend their money on their NATO commitment. They want to be spending it on the EU armed forces, the EU defence force. My issue with that is that we've already got NATO, so why do we need another organisation? And uh, NATO has worked since the end of the Second World War, uh, has held back the uh, the Soviet expansion you know, desires. So we don't need... Uh, an EU army. But what it does mean, and again, sorry about the stuck record, when we look at it, the Ukraine and Russia are in conflict over the Crimea and and those contested areas. You've got that oil pipeline or gas pipeline running straight through the country. The moment the Ukraine is successful in becoming uh, an EU member, which it's trying to do, and you've got an EU army, we go straight into conflict, or the EU goes straight into conflict with Russia. And Putin isn't a nice man, but I don't think he's playing the same game as the rest of the world is. And that's why I think he's so easily demonized. 
I'm not I'm not defending him at all because uh, if we were playing room 101 now, I'd say put Russians into room 101. You look at our experience. Hey, put yeah, Russians no, no. in there or put the yeah. old Soviet communists in there? No, no, no. Put Russians in there. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. I'm not sure. I mean, I know the US has got, what, 750 million people or 720 million people? No, they, the, the, the American Democrat Party would wished we had 750 million oh, people. Oh, sorry. It's 320 million, isn't it? Three, 320, 350. Okay. Yeah, yeah, don't, it's no big deal. So, so the population of Russia, which is an enormous country, is, is probably similar if not a bit larger but you look at the the russians that we encounter the super rich oligarchs which just buy their way out of doing anything then you've got the criminal russian mob which are running all the gambling organizations particularly out of jib and um the, the the rest of the continent because they've grown up inside a very totalitarian government under a totalitarian system, once they've left that that totalitarian system, all the sneaky skills that they use to get away with the crimes that they're doing are so much easier to do in Western free democratic countries because people that's, can be bought. And, and that's, that's why George happening. Soros does business here. Yeah. I'm not saying that all Russians are criminals. I'm not saying that all Russians are oligarchs. I'm not saying that they're all online porn streaming stars either, but most of them are. So, so yeah, put Russians, those Russians, the Russians that I've just given you examples of, your oligarchs, your ma- Russian mafia, and your, uh, you know, filth peddlers, put them all in, into room 101. But um, Putin, I don't think he's playing the same game as as the CCP. I don't think he's in with Soros and Gates and all the rest of it. And no, he's got why- his own agenda. He, he's got his, yeah. he, he kicked, the, the thing about Putin was he kicked uh, the, the Rothschild and the Rockefeller banks out of Russia. They're the ones that funded Bolshevism. I mean, that, that's, that's where that whole thing came from. You think Lenin just did that with no money? It came from New York money. That, that's where saying, it came from. M- money is the sinew of war. You cannot yeah. fight a war without money. And, so they, and he kicked him out, but that doesn't mean that that system that he wants is any better. It just means that he wants it run by Russians. Okay, fine. Sorry, I've got nothing else there. <laughs> no, I, I see your. No, I, I really do see your point. I, I didn't mean to jump in there. I'm sorry, but when, when it comes to Russians and and all of that, um, you know, dirty dealings and stuff like that. I, I mean, I get it. I mean, if you go back through Russian history, man, it's it's brutal. It's tough. It, it really is. You go all the way back into the time where the Vikings were up in there and they took uh, Slavic uh, slaves. It was it was terrible. And I'm yeah. sure you're well aware of that uh, that history as well. But uh, it, it was it was awful. And, it, and it's been that history and it's been that I, I don't want to say that tribal mentality, but it's been like that uh, that cutthroat mentality all the way up through. Russia was on the verge of real democratic reform and change. They were headed for true democracy by getting rid of the czar. Well, that's where Lenin and the rest of his cohorts came in and capitalized and took took advantage of a situation. Uh, and yeah, then- that's, that's the thing about a vacuum, isn't it? Um, things rush in. They don't file in in an orderly fashion. They rush in. And uh, that's not meant to be a pun, by the way. But once the czar was killed, the Bolshevik rev- revolution was taking place. And the momentum was there, driven by that money from the world banks, from you know those that we've already named, and so you've wound up with 
the people under the thumb again, totally oppressed. But you look at what the rest of the world now terms as rogue nations. I think Russia falls into that category. It's not swimming with the flow. It's swimming in its own little circle, same as Iran is for different reasons. There, instead of like Russia using the power of the state and the and, and military might uh, to, to keep control, Iran is using uh, religious fervor to, to, to do it. And the people that are driving that religious fervor are just as power crazy megalomaniacs as Putin is. It's just they're using a different means. Then you've got North Korea, which even China that's a, is having, that's a pop is state. having yeah, but I, I think even China is having trouble really reconciling what's happening in North Korea with their own plans. I I think what's his name Kim Jong Il Kim Jong Un um, Kim Jong Un Il was um, his father yeah that's right you know I think he's 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 pissed on power and he's doing his own thing but he's containing it within his borders obviously they'd desperately love to um flood south and take south korea back but it's only well the american might uh in south korea ably assisted by nato and your special allies i.e us that have, have stopped that from happening so and the japanese yeah. to the north can't discount them you can't you can't although but you remember I mentioned in, in Room 101 last that the last time I was in San Francisco was 1986. And after San Francisco, we went across to Hawaii. And it was the first time the Japanese had been back to Hawaii since, um, was it the 7th of December, uh, 1941? Uh, yeah. Pearl Harbor, yeah. Yeah. And um, my ship went into Pearl Harbor and we were followed by the Japanese Naval Defense Force. And their ships even then made ours look uh, so old and outdated. They have... They've, they've built and built on their on their navy, and they had a huge navy during the Second World War. But fortunately, the Battle of Medway did for most of that. So yeah, you got you you've got Japan out there as well. They hate the Chinese. There's no there's no two ways about it. The war in Manchuria, even Okinawa and, was a Chinese and, island, but the Japanese took it from the from the Chinese. Yeah, and um, they're not too uh, they're not too big fans of the Russians either. No, no. Again, they've got a long history. We're all supposed to uh, you know forgive and forget and shake hands and be best of friends, but. I was brought up by people who fought the Second World War, and I try really hard not to think that way, but it's difficult. It's difficult, and especially with the situation of, uh, of Brexit, where Germany and Merkel and, uh, uh, you know, uh, are driving things their way, and by now we could have had some sort of deal. There's a huge amount of, of ingratitude, actually, from Europe. Well, I think they're trying, they're, they're trying to isolate yeah, you. They're trying to isolate you. That's yeah. all it is. They're, they're trying to I mean, economically put you under a blockade. That's all they're trying to do. But we're an island and we've got lots of ships and, and we can trade anywhere else in the world. And, and that's what we'll do. If our product is good enough um, and Europe is buying it already, chances are they will still want to buy it. But we've got to make sure that product remains good and remains and affordable. There's us. I mean, we yeah. I mean, we we've we've got we've got the deal ready to go. As soon as you guys, as soon as you guys are out per se, as it I know you're out, but as in out as in the deal. As soon as that's yeah. done, then we've got a deal. 
pen in hand, ready to go. Which is 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 always a real comfort. It's it's like that. Uh, the the analogy, I suppose, is when you're when you haven't got a job, it's really difficult to find a job. But if you have got a job, you get interview after interview and an opportunity after opportunity because people like to work with people or countries like to work with countries that have got deals uh, and things going for them. So um, yeah, cool. We've gone. Way off topic there, but thanks. Well, yes and no. Uh, We were talking there about China for a little bit. And this was something I I kind of been holding this one back because I haven't really had a chance to talk to you about this. You heard about the Hong Kong independence movement, yeah? Uh, Yeah, the the umbrellas. The The umbrella protest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so uh, there were about a dozen Hong Kong independence campaigners gathered outside of the Chinese embassy in London to protest uh, Beijing's new security law or whatever it is that they're imposing on uh, the people in Hong Kong. And they're setting Chinese flags on fire out in front of the uh, the embassy there in, uh, in London. China has called for the UK government to uh, lock up protesters who burn the Chinese flag outside of the London embassy. They're saying that uh, protesters set fire to Chinese national flag, branding it a blatant, flagrant, and abominable act of vandalism. That's the CCP. The bizarre statement also claimed that protesters had assaulted the main gate of the embassy building, putting up Hong Kong independence slogans on the gate. It said China expresses strong indignation and condemnation against such despicable acts, and it claimed to reveal the ugly nature of Hong Kong independence elements to disrupt and destabilize Hong Kong. They're calling on the UK police to make swift investigations and to bring the perpetrators to justice. Keep in mind, the the law they passed in Hong Kong is specifically about in relation to their flag and their national anthem. If you disparage either of those, you'll be thrown in prison. That that's what this law that they passed uh, that they're protesting. So you see, that is the that is the sign. Uh, that's the indications of a very weak state. Um, they may they may be strong militarily uh, and have lots of policemen and secret policemen and armed forces to to quell their population within China. But the fact that they have to make it a law. You know, with with the threat of immediate imprisonment for any kind of criticism of the state, just shows how weak the state is. However, in the recent riots and protests for Black Lives Matter and Antifa in London, they were burning our flag and they were, you know, desecrating war memorials uh, and statues of our great and good and. Granted, the one that was torn down in Bristol should have been torn down a long time ago because he made his money from slavery. But then again, so did a lot of people all over the world. I would not want to see someone burning the Union Union flag uh, in my presence. I wouldn't let them do it. Me as a as a you know as a civilian, well, to be I fair, would stop them. you you wouldn't you wouldn't want that fire to get out of control. I mean, that's the reason you'd be taking yes, yes. that, well, uh, do that action a, because I, you don't want to see someone burn themselves, no, right? No, 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 not at all. I, 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 you know, if if the flag was burning, I'd make sure I picked up something wet and and limp that I could flap about like an Antifa protester and beat him onto the flag until it went out. So. On one hand, and I hate, you know, we've got to play this straight. We've always got to do it the honest way and the upright middle of the roadway. Outside the Chinese embassy, setting fire to the Chinese flag is going to cause 
upset and annoyance for the people inside. And don't forget, the people inside are on Chinese soil. The embassy yes. counts as Chinese soil. And they are armed. We had an incident where there was shooting from the Iranian embassy where a policewoman was shot. Um, In England? Some, yeah, yeah. This was some time ago. This was some oh, time ago. I, I, I was going to say, I must have missed that one. The people inside the embassy were armed and they shot into the street and a policewoman was shot and killed. Uh, this was some time ago. I can't even remember the, the, the poor woman's name. But my point is this. You don't want protesters causing an armed response on the streets of London outside of the um, embassies. So I would say our police force probably should stop people from burning flags. But you said something about vandalism. So were they tearing down the flags that were attached to the embassy or did they bring their no. own flag they'd purchased for the purpose of burning? They got, well, the, the article says they got as far as the gate and they were putting up, because obviously they closed the gates because embassies have these big security yeah. gates and all that stuff. So they got as far as the gate and they were putting up, you know, banners and slogans on the gate about, you know, against the, the Chinese Communist Party. And honestly, I mean, if, you, if they can't get through the gates, then they're not going to be able to get the, the flags down. Yeah. So I would assume... That they took their own. Uh, also, even with in normal UK law statutes, I think you'll probably probably find it's illegal to set fire to things uh, in, in a busy city street. You just you're just not allowed to do it. So I can I'm not with the Chinese Communist Party on everything, but on burning their flag outside of their embassy, uh, no, don't do it because our police will have to arrest you. And as much as that might pain them, that's exactly what they will do. Well, I think you're looking at it from a, uh, a safety and a security standpoint and the well-being of others as opposed to a politically motivated agenda like the CCP is trying to make it out to be. Oh, absolutely. If I had the choice, I, I, if I could find somewhere that made it, I would have um, red with gold stars toilet paper. I would wipe my ass every day <laughs> on the Chinese flag. So Now, that's no, not it, a jab. It, it, just so, just so people are aware, that's not a jab at the Chinese people. They, they, no, it's just the Chinese they, Communist Party. Exactly. The the Chinese, and you know something, the Chinese Communist Party, they're hated by the Chinese people more than Westerners on average. Well, of course, because like I said uh, a few moments ago, it shows how weaker organization and state it is where it has to make these laws with with threat of immediate imprisonment for doing things uh, uh, that that poke fun at or um, denigrate the Chinese Communist Party. So they're weak, they're scared, and uh, they're legislating. So that we've, we've talked about this before as well, the days of the robber barons, where you, you got a guy who was really good on horseback and great with a sword and had a nice suit of metal armor, and he had loads of mates who he was paying, and they'd go and take land. They'd take farmland and crops and produce and gold and silver, and then they'd keep it. And then what they did is they wrote it into law that no one else could do it. So once they've done it, nobody else could do it. Without yeah, they, pull, uh, an they pull the ladder up. That's right. If you bring that to the modern age, that sounds like the World Economic Forum, doesn't it? Pretty much. They're deciding what is going to happen. We, uh, we're we out of time today, gentlemen. Uh, is there anything else that either one of you would like to talk about? It, I mean, I, I understand that we were coming off of something that was funny, and we've kind of gotten into the more serious stuff today. But I still think it was a, it was a good, healthy conversation nonetheless. But is there anything else that either one of you would like to talk about? Uh, no, um, apart from... 
yeah, World of Ships. It's a great game, and <laughs> it's very good for my for, for, for refreshing myself on on all things uh, marine and naval. Uh, no, no, mate. I've got I've got nothing else tonight. I think we've had a good conversation. I've enjoyed myself, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Fantastic, and uh, we will probably end up seeing you next week at some point. I'm not entirely sure. Well, you and you and I will probably have to coordinate on that one. But anyway, all right. For those of you who have not, you'd like to please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. We love getting all of your likes and your echoes and your comments and your upvotes. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 or you can follow Marty at Marty Foster if he's not trolling Giddy Hopkins. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, <laughs> if you'd like to reach out to us and you don't want to do it on social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com, especially if you're from Australia. We would like to hear from you uh, and we would like to um, have you on as a potential guest uh, and give us a uh, Give us a rundown of what's going on down there from your perspective. So you can do that at tips at dynamicindependence.com again. Also, we would humbly ask you to recommend us to friends and family known associates. We're trying to grow our audience here as much as possible, and we need your help as a loyal listener in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are on every platform where you can get your podcast, with the exception of SoundCloud. And I always have to mention that. Also, if you're rating podcast, if you could drop over to Apple Podcast or any other respective platform you listen to us on and give us a rating at your earliest possible convenience, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Thank you both for sitting down this evening. Thank you to all the listeners. We will not be here on Saturday and Sunday this week uh, because we are taking the weekends now. So I hope everyone has a great weekend. Bruce, Marty, thank you guys for your time tonight. Cheers, Johnny. Thanks, Bruce. See you all on Monday.